When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here and joining me, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels, to preview the Minnesota Vikings and Los Angeles Rams on Thursday night football. And also, as always, we will touch on our journeyman quarterback of the week. We've got one for you that played for both the Vikings and the Rams organization, but not in Los Angeles. So let's uh, start out, Sage, with bouncing back from a loss like they had on Sunday would you say that it still reverberates what happened or are they completely over it now that they've landed in Los Angeles and the focus is entirely on the Rams? Well, I think they've moved on. I mean, I think that's the nice thing about the NFL. I remember North Turner saying this to me early in my career that the the neat thing about, you know, being a football player, being a football coach is you have a test once a week. And once that test is over, you move on to the next, uh, the next test basically. And, you know, that's what they have going on, you know, here. I, I think the best thing that could have happened is for them to play a Thursday night game. I know it sounds crazy. I, obviously, it's a little more challenging to to play that game on the road. Uh, but, you know, they need to get back on the field and sort of try to redeem themselves as soon as possible. You know, the worst thing that could happen, I think, would be, ha- you know, have a bye week or even have it be a Thursday night game with a 10-day stretch after that where they have to really sit, wait, and ponder and, and have all this time to think about it, you know. So I, I think the best thing that they had to do uh, is just sort of get right back on that horse. And they got bucked off pretty good. Uh, let's get back on that horse and, and see if you can't go to win that. I mean, right now, you know, it's interesting, the Vikings being a team that a lot of people preseason-wise had really high expectations for, those have been dampered a little bit. Uh, the Rams have the, probably as high as expectations as anybody in the league. So right now, I don't think a lot of people are giving the, the Vikings team a chance. Maybe this is what they need. They need to have their back against the walls a little bit rather than being the front runner. Did you ever play in a Thursday night game? Yeah, a couple of them. Um, I, I believe my first Thursday night game was like a, a Thanksgiving game at Dallas when I was mm. with the Dolphins in the early 2000s. Uh, and it was, you know, one of those types of deals we had, you know, I think I, I even feel like we had like a Sunday night game or something of, you know, very, very short time to rest, 
and, and get ready to then travel to Dallas. And we probably played our best game of the year, hmm. incredible as it sounds. You, you practice during the week, but, you, you know, it's all no pads. Um, and it's a lot of jog throughs and, you know, nothing's really full speed. You know, everyone's going about, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of walkthroughs and you have sort of jog throughs. And, you know, I'd say that the fastest guys are going practice or went in practice probably yesterday was maybe like scent or something like that. You just can't get the full speed down. Uh, a lot of times you keep certain aspects of the game plan that you really like that could sort of cross over uh, to to this week's game plan uh, because you practice all those week. Uh, you run them recently. You formation them recently. And a lot of times, if you can try to formation or try to try to uh, copy some of that game plan and and reuse it in the game, at least the plays and, and concepts that you did not use in your previous contest. So how how hard is that when you're trying to get in that that game plan and and fully understand what everybody's supposed to do out there and how you're supposed to be on the same page? I mean, I I feel like it was a big conversation when they first started having them every. Thursday night, and then it, it seems to me like the games have gotten better and that teams are just preparing better possibly or figured out how to do that because I, I haven't heard any whining about it recently that the Thursday night games are bad. Well, yeah, so basically uh, what, what, the, where, the reason the players don't like the Thursday night games is because it's such short, you know, short rest. Yeah. And, you know, Sunday games are, you know, they're, they're a bloodbath. I mean, they are. People don't realize, and you don't see it on TV because you see you're so far away with the camera. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times these games are played on artificial turf, so everything really seems clean. But you know, we, you, you get the instant replays and the slow mos. It is a physical, physical, violent game out there. And then to cut that basically the rest time basically in half, uh, you know, makes it really, really challenging physically to sort of you know those bumps and bruises to heal up a little bit more, but also to sort of get the energy back, you know, to get all mm-hmm. that energy back. It's you really wear yourself out, uh, you know, every game you play, it's, it's completely exhausting. And, you know, then to sort of get that energy boost back for four quarters is hard to do in only three days rest. But as far as game plan is concerned, you know, most all NFL teams in particular on offense, they have these, uh, you know, their basic concepts they run. Uh, and you have new wrinkles every week, but for the most part, you sort of have your offense. Then the question is, how are we going to manipulate the protections from week to week? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we going to change the formations and personnel groups? But at the end of the day, you're generally still talking about you know the same or similar concepts that are sort of the foundation of your offense. So let me uh, switch gears over to the Rams and ask you about Jared Goff as a uh, quarterback aficionado that you are, and you love to study these these quarterbacks around the league. Uh, what did you see from him as he was kind of coming in? It was a little bit rough with uh, Jeff Fisher for him right away, and then he gets Sean McVay, and he's really taken off from there. But the Vikings found a way to slow him down last year. Well, yeah, so Goff is, he's an accurate thrower. He's a rhythm passer. Uh, he's not a big, you know, playmaker type. He's not a big creation guy. He, he's a, he does a good job of executing their offense. Uh, to see him from year one, uh, when it was Jeff Fisher's uh, offense, or I guess he's a defensive coordinator, but, you know, whoever he had as, as, as his offensive coordinator, uh, I watched a couple of those games at the end of his rookie year when he played. Uh, it was a bad offense. It was mm-hmm. poorly designed. It didn't help out a quarterback at all. And that's really, to me, an offensive coordinator's job is how can I make it as easy as possible 
for the quarterback to be successful because if the quarterback's successful, uh, the rest of the offense will will do just fine. And so uh, I think that's what Sean McVay does. And this sort of style of offense, you're going to see a lot of inside zone, a lot of outside zone. Uh, you'll see some of that jet sweep action, uh, which a lot of teams are doing now. But then what you'll see is a ton of play action off of it. Uh, I would say more often than not, they're going to be under center. Uh, but that play action stuff, that's what Sean McVay really loves. You know, the the zone running game looks just like the play action, mm-hmm. so it really does suck up those linebackers and safeties. They're going to try to take some sh- shots over the top with uh, the receiving core. Uh, you'll see a lot of sort of high-low, you know, deep post route. Uh, if it's not good, you'll have a deep crossing route, and then you know some guys in the flat as sort of a high to low uh, uh, from one two down to three, check down the flat, you know, type of scenarios in particular in the play action concept. So McVay's a really good coordinator. Uh, he does a really, really good job in this. You know, Jared Goff, uh, he's been really, really efficient in this offense. He also has some really good players to throw the ball to and hand the ball off to with Todd Gurley. So something I wrote about in the offseason was that Sean McVay also used bunched formations more than any other team by far. It was almost twice as much as the next best team. What types of challenges did those present for defenses and how just I guess how much of a different look is that when someone's using it all the time? Well, the reason teams use bunches and, and stacks, uh, you call a stack a two-man bunch basically and a bunch is a three-person bunched formation is how you sort of say it in the NFL. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan was a huge fan of this, and, and McVay learned a lot of his offensive football from the Shanahan's when they were in Washington. Mm-hmm. And the reason you do this is just for multiple reasons. One, teams a lot of times have automatic checks when you get into a bunch formation, uh, which then it sort of you sort of have an, a pretty good idea of what the defense is going to do. That's always nice to have. That gives an offensive advantage when you already know, you know the defense is going to you know box it as they say, or or you know uh, check to. You know, check out a man-to-man coverage because in man, you know, there's so many uh, ways players can get picked uh, with the crossing routes mm-hmm. and and all those types of things. So it's hard to play man-to-man in, in, in those types of coverage. You know, everyone sort of has to take the guy that comes to their area, and then they have man. Uh, you know, that that guy. So you know, that's one of the reasons they do it. They also do it to uh, allow for receivers to get free releases and not have somebody just jammed at the line of scrimmage when they're just as sort of in a single set out wide uh so there's a lot of good reasons to do to do these bunch sets uh but what's interesting is you can also run the ball off of these bunches that's a, it's a good uh good formation to do these sort of crack toss mm-hmm. uh, around plays uh you also can run certain types of draws and as i said teams sometimes check out a man and get into more of a coverage uh a set defensively to try to you know, uh, um, you know, defense those bunches, which are which are harder to defend, and so sometimes the best thing to do is to actually run out of the bunches. Uh, so yeah, it's a it, Sean obviously really likes to use it. That's a really interesting stat that he does it. You know, that often. I'm sure the Vikings, uh, who play who basically play man to man in some form of cover four, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that'll be. It's actually bunches are made for that type, those types of defenses, man-to-man and usually quarters. Yeah, and I think that it makes it more difficult for someone like Xavier Rhodes to lock on to one receiver, that you kind of force him to make changes there if you have to go uh, into the bunch, right? Rather than if, if he's trying to just shadow one receiver all day, it doesn't quite work that way when they're doing all the stacks and cut splits and all those different sort of things. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, let's just say... 
you know, Sean, or uh, let's just say Xavier Rhodes is, you know, told he has to guard, you know, let's just say Cooper Cup, you know, one of the wide receivers. Mm-hmm. They're going to match him up on Cooper Cup. Well, if Cooper Cup is the point man on the bunch, that's easy. You know, right. Xavier's got to miss the point. But if he's the inside guy, you know, you know, but but he runs outside. A lot of times there's a switch that goes on there. Uh, it, it's a way to allow a premier type of receiver to get a matchup on a DB that normally wouldn't be covering him. And uh, just one more thing on the, on the run game for people to to watch is that they love both jet sweeps and fake jet sweeps. And I noticed uh, last year that they would occasionally fake jet sweep and have the wide receiver just give the slightest little chip to the defensive end. Obviously, he doesn't want to get too much of the defensive end and get murdered by you know somebody twice as big. But just just giving that little shoulder to a guy can slow him down a, a little bit. So it's I think what you see here with the Rams is the combination of a team that has really good personnel in their wide receivers. Robert Woods is very good. Cooper Cup you mentioned, and they added Brandon Cooks as a deep threat, and Todd Gurley is a do-it-all running back, very much like Delvin Cook, and you add so much creativity to this offense i feel like uh, jared goff is kind of sitting on a golden throne here with all the things that he has working for him oh he's in a perfect situation on top of it their defense is pretty dang good you Mm -hmm. know they got probably two of the better defensive linemen interior defensive linemen in the league uh obviously they have got two cornerbacks out this week who probably are not going to play to leave in peters but you know those are the two better corners in the league as well so you know, he is sort of set up in, in a really a perfect situation, a great offensive mind as a head coach, offensive coordinator, and really good players around him. It's amazing what, you know, two years can make uh, for a young quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, by the way, as you were mentioning, those bunch sets, another thing they do is they make it really hard for defensive ends to get a good pass rush. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to sort of work through a lot of traffic. A lot of times their lanes are really, you know, cut down. Uh, you know, in this situation, it's usually to the strength, which is a you know Daniel Hunter's side. Usually, you know, his lanes are now cut down. He's got this bunch. It could be a crack toss that he has to widen and try to play outside of. Uh, you know, it could be you know who knows what. So uh, it it adds some challenges to the defensive line as well. But I'm interested to see Sage if this week the Vikings go a little bit uncharacteristic and blitz more. I mean, if they're using those bunch formations, I, I feel like that might give you an opportunity to blitz. And they did that a couple of times last year. Terrence Newman came on one, which he didn't do very often. I think Harrison Smith blitzed a couple times, and we've seen him do that this year. We haven't seen a ton of Anthony Barr rushing the passer so far in these first three games, and I'm wondering if they break out some of that this time. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think the, a nice thing to do if you're a head coach is – you know, as, as, as I said, on these short weeks is you know, not to overanalyze. Let's mm-hmm. just go play. Let's just make this in sort of a backyard game, you know, man for man. Let's just go play and beat these guys and not try to overthink and analyze everything so much. I mean, my guess is that is Zimmer's speech this week. You know, the way they got beat last week by the Bills, it's not scheme. It's not all these other things. Uh, you know, the reason they lost that game, they lost that game because man for man, the Bills just whooped. Uh, the Vikings tail and so I think that's the way he's gonna you know sort of challenge his guys and say we're not gonna call anything complex uh we're gonna blitz a little bit we're gonna be aggressive we're not gonna sit back and try to overanalyze this thing let's get let's beat those uh those Rams man and man to man and everyone win their man uh man to man one-on-one matchup so you talked about Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald in the middle there and the Vikings offensive line dealing with some dings and cuts it's unclear whether Riley Reef is going to play 
Uh, our own uh, Darren Wolfson says that he's sort of 60-40 to play, and he's a pretty tough guy. He'll battle through just about anything, but clearly last week he struggled and was battling with a foot injury. But I, I think that the focus is going to be on the middle. Pat Elfline coming back for his first start. He worked in a little bit against the Bills to go up against two of the toughest interior defensive linemen in the entire NFL what type of challenge is it when you're as under center looking over at some of those beasts who can get after you and not only stuff your run, but also pressure you right up the middle? Yeah, that's what makes these guys so good. You know, a lot of times interior defensive linemen, they're, they're sort of one or the other. They're either a run blocker or they're a guy like a Warren Sapp who can really rush the passer. Well, both of these guys are really good at both. I mean, Donald is just an incredible defensive lineman. Not too often do you talk about interior defensive linemen being top five NFL players, but Aaron Donald's a top five NFL player. He's he's really that dominant. He's still young, uh, and uh, he, you know he's incredibly athletic. So he's sort of stout against the run. He's big enough to, and strong enough to be stout against the run. But he's athletic to you know shoot. He could almost probably play defensive end on third down hmm. and sub situation because he's just so strong and powerful and athletic. You don't get that combination very much. And obviously, we all know about you know Sue. He's been you know, such a such a big man, big force over the years. Is he a great player? You know, I don't know, but he's just such a huge guy uh, and, and has the ability to be great. Uh, and my guess is on a Thursday night primetime game, yep. uh, he, he will step up his game. He's the type of guy that uh, probably likes to play a little bit harder when the bright lights are on. Now, one thing that's working pretty well for the Vikings potentially is could be uh, the return of Delvin Cook. And I thought that they missed him quite a bit last week. And, you know, we saw against the Packers, he lined up as a wide receiver and caught a key 24-yard slant route, uh, showing you a little bit of the different things that he can do. Uh, how much of an upgrade is it? How much more multiple can they be with some of the things they do with the running back if they have Delvin Cook versus just Latavius Murray? Well, if he's healthy, that's a you know a huge upgrade for them, and, and that takes nothing away from Murray. I think Murray's a really good back, and he's done some really good stuff for the Vikings in his couple of years now. But you know, Cook has that extra uh, gear that nobody else in the Vikings roster has from the running back position. And so, yeah, if he can stay healthy, and that's going to be really big for him all maybe you know his whole career. Uh, actually, his first year he missed you know most three quarters of the year with his ACL, and uh, he's already now missed the game this year so you know he's got to stay healthy because he is one of the big play guys uh, you know on this football team and and uh, you know you obviously got Stefan Diggs and and probably a couple others but you know he is the guy you know one of those guys that has a lot of juice for this football team and the Vikings are going to need to have him uh, you know have a good game and not just a guy that you know runs the ball you know, behind center he's definitely a guy that uh, you got to get in space and get him the ball in the flats and and he you know he, he makes those turns and you can just see that speed uh uh, you know, he a lot of times takes these three, four-yard catches and turns them into 10, 15-yard gains. Yeah, that was something we didn't see against Buffalo, and I wonder if there's a lot more there to be had in the screen game now that Pat Elfline is returning. That With uh, Brett Jones, you can't really try to get out the center in, in space like they did with Elfline so often last year. That's uh, one of the factors that I'll be watching and just how they move uh, some of those protections or, you know, use the zone runs with uh, Delvin Cook, assuming that he is back. Uh, it's always hard to tell on these short weeks based on the practice. When it's Monday through Saturday, you always kind of know who's playing and who's not. But uh, going into this, we're going to have to wait for the official word of, of who's in, who's not. But uh, there, there's something else, Sage, before we get to our journeyman that I wanted to ask you about. With Everson Griffin's situation, 
just the the type of support systems that NFL teams have or maybe have changed over the years since you played in comparison. Uh, it, you know, people who don't know, Everson Griffin is um, dealing with some, it sounds like serious mental health issues at this moment. And from what Mike Zimmer said, the team has made a lot of effort to help Everson as much as possible. Uh, it, it would seem to me, Sage, that probably now compared to 10 years ago, they've taken significant steps there. Yeah, you know, I think that the NFL has always had, at least in the last 15, 20 years, they, they have had, you know, people in place for situations like this. And, and uh, you know, the NFL world is extremely high stress. You got a lot of young men dealing with a lot of different issues. You know, there's a lot of money involved. It's a violent game. These uh, kids come from all over the place. And, you know, they have really, sometimes they have really, really challenging backgrounds. You know, I would say no, very little ever since you know actual you know challenges here but you know les pico is uh, i believe his job would be director of uh, um, player and uh, engagement or, mm-hmm. or something like that yeah. i'm not sure the, the exact job description but basically he's in charge when players have an issue you know whether that's they want to go back to college uh, and there's these NFL programs that that uh, that are available less helps you get involved in those programs uh, if it's, you know, you're dealing with a parking ticket that or, or something that you want to fight and you go to Les, say, hey, Les, can you help me? You know, I have an issue with this, you know, speeding ticket I got. You know, Les is the guy who's sort of Johnny on the spot mm-hmm. uh, trying to help you work through those things. He's also one of those guys that, you know, maybe if you have a, an issue like this, they have an, a, a team. And also with obviously Eric Sugarman, uh, the team trainer uh, and the team doctors, they have a sort of a, a, an array of people, specialists. Uh, turn to so th- there is a lot of support uh, for NFL players, NFL coaches. You know, for really any type of issue you can think of. Uh, you know, they if they don't have the answer, they know people who do. Uh, so you know, really fortunately, actually that uh, that Everson you know has this support system, this team. Because you, I tell you what, once you're out of the league, all that stuff disappears. Yeah. You know, it's it's you don't have the you know somebody to to you know try to help you out and wants what's best for you you're, you're truly out on your own just like everybody else so actually being part of a team is huge and uh, and hopefully everson uh, you know gets healthy and, and gets some help and and uh, hopefully we see him back soon and uh just would like to add that uh wish everson the best I, I know what he means to everybody else in that locker room and uh you don't wish this on anyone to have to deal with something like this so uh you know hopefully he gets the treatment that he needs and, and he's back on the field soon. Okay. We, by the way, we really do, you know, as, as you know, we do it as analysts, I guess. And we, you know, we talk about players and, and a lot of times, you, know, you, you, you don't really realize the, the human element and mm-hmm. the, the emotional element that goes on to be an NFL player, because it's sort of, you know, what have you done for me lately? What was his quarterback rating? How many yards did he run for, you know, how many sacks did he give up? And that's all we really care about. But you know, the, and, and I know it's a tough game. These guys get paid well to do it, uh, but there is an emotional aspect to it, and and sometimes sometimes things don't always go so well. Yeah, yeah, and and the uh, you know the rise of things like fantasy take even more humanity out of the the league, right? Because so many people follow it for those reasons, um, and and that's not against fantasy, but it's just kind of how it is that players feel and have felt, I think, for a long time, like pieces of meat 
And and that's that's tough when something like this happens that we have to kind of pull back from that and look at Everson Griffin uh, as just a person who's dealing with something very difficult. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's there's situations out there where people don't like a player because they didn't perform well for them on fantasy. Knowing yeah. nothing about the players, like oh man, that guy screwed me over. He was supposed <laughs> to be really good and he had a terrible year. It's, you know, so it's like you don't like somebody literally just because they didn't get the stats that you were hoping for. But you know, that is fantasy football, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's obviously grown the game even more. But, uh, yeah, it does take out that human side of it. Yeah, and I, I can't even imagine players' social media accounts and, and what their mentions look like after uh, a bad day for a running back or something like that that hurts so many people's fantasy teams. So, uh, anyway, the uh, our journeyman quarterback of the week played – twice for the Minnesota Vikings and once for the St. Louis Rams. You know him and love him as the quarterback who started the 2016 season, Sean Hill Sage. When I say Sean Hill, what what's your first reaction to Sean Hill? What a great career. You know, I, you love these guys that uh, you know, just sort of fight and scratch and make their way into the league and, and you know, come out of nowhere, whether they're undrafted or lower-drafted guys, and then have these long careers. You have a lot of guys who are first and second rounders. Uh, you know, Christian Ponder being one. I remember Jake Locker, who was out of Washington, played for the Titans. And, you know, those guys last what three, four, five years at the most, and and then you know they they have all the advantages and they make all the money. You love the guys like like Sean Hill, uh, who were you know undrafted, played for a long, long time. And, and had what I think great careers. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask the general public, oh yeah, you were a, you know just a nobody backup clip holder. But I tell you what, he, my guess is he's got enough money he'll never have to work a day in his life. He's got his you know kids set up for their futures. Uh, I think an absolutely great career. One's another thing that I, I when I think about Sean Hill and I remember back, he was a Maryland quarterback mm-hmm. and he ran a lot of option at Maryland. They had sort of a you know collegey. Almost like a, they would run the veer, which is you ride the fullback and, and read the defensive end, all these things. They, they really ran a lot more option. He wasn't like this traditional pocket passer. And I remember when he signed with the Vikings and he was on the roster as the number three guy. And I had Scott Linehan uh, as my coordinator uh, who had left the Vikings uh, when I, I had him down in Miami. Uh, and they would, you know, occasionally Sean Hill's name would come up. Gus Farratt knew him really well. Mm-hmm. One thing I think that helped Sean get in the NFL Mike Tice was a Maryland uh, player as well, and that was his alma mater, and that's who the head coach was for the Vikings. So I'm sure it helped that for Sean Hill to get in the league. He signs with a team where the head coach is a Maryland guy, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you see that a lot of times uh, where you know coaches and, and you know owners or whatever they like sort of hooking up the guy that really helped out their team. And you know Maryland was a bad football school for a long time, and. And Sean Hill was sort of like that first quarterback to turn them around and make them pretty good. So I agree with you that Sean Hill had a great career. I mean, as far as guys who are kind of in and out, uh, to finish with 49 touchdowns, 30 picks, a 17-18 and career record, and 84.9 passer rating. I mean, those are really solid NFL numbers. And every time he was called upon to be... Uh, you know, the guy who has to step in, like in 2016 when Teddy Bridgewater went down, he found a way to get a win in Tennessee, and, and he would do that pretty routinely. And, and so I, I came across some interesting things here because you talk about uh, the stories and backgrounds of how these guys end up with their jobs, uh, some of them who weren't top draft picks. 
undrafted guy who was once recruited out of high school as a punter, not as a quarterback, had to go to community college for two years and then eventually to Maryland, was with the Vikings for three years, and then I miss NFL Europe's age. NFL Europe was awesome. He played for the Amsterdam Admirals of NFL Europe. That's great. Yeah, and and uh, and uh, I think he was. I forgot to call. He's a really good player. But I feel like he even led yes. the league in passing. Uh, you know, one year. So I tell you what, I'm sure Sean Hill has. He may not have a hundred million dollars, but he probably has a hundred million dollars worth of stories. You know, the journeyman <laughs> guys, and this is why we, why we do this segment. Yes, those guys are great because you you bounce around from team to team. You're around all these different players and coaches, and you really get a great. Uh, view of of all these different franchises and you have great stories and uh, he had a, an absolutely fantastic career and and, uh, and and i always say you know these these when backups go in my always thought is if you can win half your games mm-hmm. you've done your job right i mean it's hard enough to win half your games anyway but if you can win half your games you've done a really really good job as a backup because you're not going to get those those reps a lot of times the starters whether it's the offseason training camp you're working with the backups uh, so, you know, we, we expect a lot of the backups, even though, you know, the, the chances of them having success is really hard. They're just not getting those reps. They're supposed to be not as good already just because they're backups. Yet we expect them to come and win ball games. And he did win a lot of ball games in his career. And, uh, and he has said he had a, he had a wonderful career. And uh, I think players who played with Sean Hill really like playing with him. And, and that's always a good thing to say, too. Okay, so did you see on his wiki that he led NFL Europe in passing that year? Or did you legit remember that? No, no, I remember like Dave Ragone. <laughs> That's amazing. One year. Yeah, Dave Ragone was the MVP, and I was with him at the Texans, and he didn't even make the team the next year. And I was like, how is he the MVP? <laughs> and he didn't even make our team. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing is back then, you know, this, this, um, the NFL Europe was sort of a spring summer league. And so, you know, you'd watch these games. There was nothing else on back then. And, and, you know, I watched a lot of the NFL Europe games and you keep up with, you know, by the way, I'm, you know, I'm a backup quarterback too. And, uh, and I'm just, you know, trying to make these teams or whatever. So, you know, I'm thinking I might be in NFL Europe next year. So at that time I was very much, you know, it's, it's sort of like a guy who's barely on the major league roster, also still following some aspects of triple a baseball mm-hmm. you, you do i promise you. You, you 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 see who the best players are who's you know leading the league in home runs or whatever and and as a guy who was sort of just barely in the nfl myself i was definitely paying attention to nfl europe because i thought it might be there the following year that's awesome and vikings fans remember sean hill uh, at 36 but uh at one point he ran for 123 yards in a season 115 yards in a season so he was a a pretty darn athletic guy. So I, that's, man, this is this is why we do it, because that, that is a great career to go through for Sean Hill, and I love I, the I think fact. a guy like Sean was, you know, we you, you say he was athletic. We're, I think all quarterbacks are pretty dang athletic. You know, everything is in, in uh, relationship to, like, you know, Michael Vick or, or Russell Wilson, <laughs> yeah. these guys. So it's all relative. But he's one of those guys that I would just sort of call a winner. You know, he was mm-hmm. savvy. Uh, he sort of understood what his body could do. He was, you know, really a guy that could execute the offense, try to do things exactly where the head coaches uh, and the offensive coordinators wanted them done. He was a great guy in the locker room, just sort of a winner. And uh, you, you don't realize a lot of these guys, you know, that, that, that go to the combine or don't go to the combine, um, you know, it's arm strength, it's this, that, and the other. 
you know, find me the guys who are just winners, and I want a lot of those guys on my team. You'll appreciate this. I believe it is Andrew Sedejo, but it might also it might be Xavier Rhodes. One of the players still has a picture of Sean Hill in his locker. So <laughs> that tells you how much Sean Hill was loved in the locker room. <laughs> legend. Sounds like a legend. Yeah, exactly. it sounds like he left a nice legacy uh, on and off the field. Exactly. Well, uh, Sage, as always, awesome stuff. Look forward to getting together with you next week to talk about what's happened and what will happen as they go into uh, Eagles week and uh, going forward. So thank you for your time and thank you all for listening to this episode of the Purple Podcast.